If you were here last night, let me see your hand. Amen. You know, this is a faithful church. I go to some revivals, man, and if I didn't bring my wife, it wouldn't be hardly nobody there. I praise God that there's people here who want the Word of God. Praise the Lord for that. But let me get into the Lord's business. God has called us for a mission. And as we talked about last evening, in the meanwhile, we're wanting heaven so bad, but we have a job to do. But notice what the Lord says to us in the book Evangelism, page 110, paragraph 2. He says, in reviving church members, the Lord does not now work to bring many souls into the truth. Because the church members, because of the church members who have never been converted. And those who were once converted, but who have now backslidden. So we often think about this and we wonder, why is the church emptying out? Well, that's one reason, but you're going to find out more reasons tonight. You see, brothers and sisters, the time in which we live right now, it has become very, very precious to serve Jesus. Very, very precious to have undying faith and trust in God's holy word. Jesus is our only hope. There's a lot of people say, I believe in Jesus, I believe, I love him, I have a relationship with him, but they don't want to do a thing that the Word of God says. They try to separate him from his Word, and they don't understand. In John 1, it says he's the Word. So you cannot separate Christ from his Word. So if I proclaim to have a relationship with Jesus, some way, somehow, my life should, ought to reflect the principles of God's Word aided by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's time to trust in his word. But let me get down to business. You see, brothers and sisters, as we look at our church, it terrifies many of us because there was a time every one of our churches was the same. You heard the same message. You actually had the same type of music. Same type of worship, same mission, same everything. But you can go to church to church now, and it's like going into a smorgasbord. Pick and choose what you want. Pretty much different almost everywhere you go. Most are not teaching what we call and to know present truth. First Peter or Second Peter 1.12, present truth. God has called his church to do this. And many of us right now are wondering, should I stay in the church? Is this church going to make it through? Lord, have mercy, because you know how we are. We're community-oriented. We want a group of people to be with us as we travel down this road. We don't want to be alone. We want our whole family saved. We want our whole church family saved. We are those who truly have a new birth experience, who are converted, they don't want to be selfish with this thing. They want to see everyone saved. Even the man that's on the corner right now that don't, can't find his way turning up a bottle. It hurts our hearts to see that. And yet, when we look at the church, and I've heard many people say, you know what, I want to give Bible studies, and I'm studying with these people. Man, they're on fire, and, and, but when they are ready to be baptized, I wonder what church I'm going to take them to. And you wonder, where is this church going to 
How is it going to end up? Will it make it? It's like buying a plane ticket and boarding that plane and having an assurance now that you will end up where you think the plane will land just because you bought a ticket. I tell you what, you can get all the tickets you can on a plane. There's no guarantee you're going to land where you think you're supposed to go. Beloved, I have to say this, as I said last evening, one day there will be no more sermons, no more appeals. So stay with me as we take this ride. God's message to us at this hour, brothers and sisters, is entitled, Shaken or Sealed. Shaken or Sealed. Would you pray with me? God of heaven, thank you for the blessing you've given us to have life that was not promised today. Oh Lord, oh Lord, please send your Holy Spirit. Take charge of this vessel that's unworthy. Put your words in my mouth. Speak to all of us, your children, especially myself. I'm asking, O oh God, that you will take charge, and I'm asking, O oh God, that you will bind the enemy of souls at this hour. Bless us, Lord, that we may be a blessing to others from learning your will for us this evening. This we pray in Jesus' name. Let everyone say. Beloved, the question comes to all of us this evening. What's going to happen to God's church in these last days? I know it's been a burden on my heart. This is a question that should be vital, of vital interest to every Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Just as the plane passenger needs to know if now the plane will arrive safely at its destination. So you and I need to discover the final destiny of God's true church. And of course, if, you have, if you're a student of the Word of God, you do know. Will it endure to the end? Because it really doesn't look like it. Will God's faithful few need to leave the church in the last days? Some places you go, you say, I can't stay here. Or will the faithful stay in the church while everyone else take a hike? Of course, we do have to immediately agree that the plain illustration is a flawed one. Why is that? You see, you don't ride into God's kingdom on the basis of church membership. Just because you signed up or put your name on a dotted line or got bought that ticket, if you please. You see, it's not automatic, brothers and sisters, that you will end up where you think you're going just because you have a church membership or you bought a plane ticket. My wife and I have been asked to go to El Salvador and run eight evangelistic campaigns at the same time, supervising six other individuals while she and I do a separate meeting ourselves along with the rest. And I've never been to El Salvador, but I tell you what, I pray that we end up in El Salvador when we get on that plane. You see, brothers and sisters, salvation isn't determined on the basis of whose names are on the church books, and yet it is important to know how is God going to use his church in these last days. It's very important to know. So let us understand and get an understanding of what it is meant by the phrase, the shaking. The shaking. Will God's believers be shaken out? You have a lot of people running out of the mainstream church, going, starting the offshoot, what they would call independent ministries, whatever, feeling that we need to get out, we need to be out of there. 
because of what's not happening right in the churches? I want to remind all of us, this is God's church. Or will the unfaithful be shaken out? It's very important to know the answer. Very, very important. So now let's take a look at God's plan for his church in these last days. Let's see now if God's church is going to be broken up so that a separate group will emerge. And let's answer these questions. Let's see how God will purify his church. And how will the shaking affect each and every one of us? And what events will constitute the shaking? And how you and I can be confident that we're among those who receive the seal of God so that knowing Jesus, we may live forever. Beloved, let us understand that throughout history, God's church has been subjected to a series of crises. It's always been trouble. Right now, we have these arguments about liberal and conservative. Those people are fighting against each other in the church, not to realize that Christ had that issue in his day with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You see, God's people have often drifted into apostasy. Periodically, brothers and sisters, they adopted the customs and practices of the people around them. That's why, as we looked at last night, the world has come into the church. This is especially true of the Old Testament church, and it's also true today with the 21st century Adventist church. God called Abraham out from among the idolaters of his day. Why? Because he was obedient to God. So when you look at a church and it seems to be going off the cliff, God has faithful people in every church that he will call on to do his bidding. God called the nation of Israel out of the Egyptian bondage to receive and to maintain a, an obedient relationship with him. And he's calling all of us today to be faithful in these last days. You see, brothers and sisters, when Israel persisted in disobedience, God often allowed them to go into captivity and face persecution in order to teach them dependence upon him. That's why a lot of things we find ourselves into that are negative, check the inventory of how you're living your life day by day. God would allow your enemies to overtake you, to run you back into his arms. Even in spite of the warnings of the prophets and also continued loving entreaties to repent and even with persecution, guess what? Israel blatantly continued in rebellion. That's why many preachers, as myself and others, I tell you, we go and preach certain places and people want to stone you for teaching the truth. And you're basically giving them a love letter some have said you're preaching fire, hell, fire, and brimstone. Let me tell you, when you don't preach to people the truth, you are preaching hell, fire, and brimstone because that's what they're going to get. <laughs> so God called out a faithful remnant who willingly would serve him way back then. And, and when we come to the New Testament, it is interesting to note that the Greek word for church is ecclesia, which means out. Ecclesia, ecclesia means called. So the New Testament church was a body of believers called out of Judaism to maintain faithful allegiance to God. 
You see, the New Testament church drifted away from God and they apostatized. Pagan practices began to slip into the church. You see that today still with these images and then that trump card, Sunday worship. Human ordinances were all signs of the growing apostasy. So guess what? God called reformers out of the papacy. See, he will use people who are in some places that are not the truth to actually proclaim his truth. So you can't count everybody out. Most of the people that's going to be saved is not in this church right now. They are in those other churches. And then those reformers, Luther, Wycliffe, Huss, Jerome, Calvin, and others, called out the true believers from the main body. But then, as the Protestant churches failed to keep pace with the advancing light of God's word, God again called Bible students out of Protestantism during the Advent movement. You see, church, whenever the corporate body at large has drifted away from God, guess what? And has adopted the principles and practices of the world and has not kept pace with the advancing light and compromising the principles of the scriptures, God has called out a body of believers. Beloved, there are a multitude of Seventh-day Adventists today who are deeply concerned, as I mentioned earlier, as they see certain conditions within their church. They're hurting. They sincerely now wonder whether God is again going to call out a body of believers from the Seventh-day Adventist church in order to purify it. And as I mentioned last night, it's a people, not a building. In fact, there are certain movements we often refer to as offshoots, as I said earlier, which have their entire philosophy based on the idea that God is going to purify the church by calling out a faithful few. So the question comes, what is God's method of purifying his church in these last days? And as the scripture was given to us, done so well by Joshua, praise God. It goes this way. Hebrews 12, 25 to 28. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. Here's the picture now. Moses and the children of Israel, they're at the bottom of the foot of Mount Sinai, and they're there in that peninsula, and Moses have been trying to share with them the will of God, and they've been upset with Moses, thinking that he's taken them out into the desert just to cause them to die so he can take all their goods. They were upset with him, but yet Moses kept on pleading with them, these are the words of God, and they said, we're not listening to you anymore, Moses. And guess what Moses did? He did what most of us, all of us, ought to do. Let's go talk to the Father. So therefore, Moses now talks to Jesus, talks to God the Father, and he goes and gets the counsel. But let's continue with the scripture. We'll get to the point I want to finish. For if they escape not who refuse him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven? whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And he has to do that because of all the satellites. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. May what, everybody? Wherefore, we receive, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence 
and godly fear. God now speaks about an unshakable kingdom. But what happened here at the bottom of this mountain? They wouldn't listen to Moses, and God goes, Moses goes to talk to God and says, Lord, you have to talk to them. And God says, go tell them to come to the base of the mountain, clean themselves up as they approach the bottom of that mountain. And when God begins to speak, it was a great earthquake. The wind started blowing. They couldn't stand even sounding like a trumpet sound. It was, they could barely bear the sound. The ground was shaking. The wind was blowing. They became terrified, and they said to Moses, Moses, tell God we will listen to you now. Tell him to be quiet. We can't take it. We'll listen to you now. We don't want to hear what God has to say. We don't want to hear him. We'll listen to you. We'll listen to him through you, not him dead on. We can't take it. God was shaking them. They couldn't take it. You see, brothers and sisters, right in this scripture as well, God speaks about an unshakable kingdom. Here in Hebrews 12, St. Paul is talking about Israel's experience at Mount Sinai when God delivered the Ten Commandments. They couldn't take it. He speaks of the darkness and the thunderings and the great voice speaking in fear. Then he says once again in verse 26, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The phrase yet once more indicates that there was a shaking before. There's always been a shaking in God's church. He moves out all of those who's tripping. God shook the earth around the base of Mount Sinai. They didn't want to listen to Moses, so God says, I'll talk to him. Then they couldn't stand it. Now they want to talk to Moses again. You see, brothers and sisters, I like what it concludes with in verse 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. They understood clearly then when they had to hear the voice of God, couldn't take it, that they rather listened to his servant finally. It's time to serve God acceptably, acceptably, brothers and sisters, with godly reverence and fear. You see, church, in the past, God's method of purifying the church has been to call out a separate, distinct body of believers. But let me give, you to, give it to you straight right now. But in these last days, God is using a different method. He now purifies his church by shaking out the unfaithful. Those who are loyal to the principles of God's word and the teacher, teachings of Jesus, they remain. They remain. So when you go to the church and you see empty seats, God is making room for the newcomers that's coming. I like what it says in Revelation 3, 10 and 11. Hold fast that which you have that no man take your crown. I'm not going anywhere. Uh-uh. I'm not giving up my seat. Come on and say Amen. No, 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 no. I'm going to hold fast. You see, God purifies his church by shaking out the unfaithful. And I tell you, God calls us his remnant. I like what John the Baptist echoed in, in the symbol of the remnant when he wrote in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 12, his shovel is ready in his hand and he will winnow his threshing floor. The wheat he will gather into his granary, but he will burn the chaff on a fire that can never go out. You see what happens, the farmer, he goes out there and he gets his wheat and he goes to the threshing floor and he throws up the wheat and the wind blows the chaff away, but the real wheat remains, it falls right there below, below his feet. So when the wind, which is representation of the shaking, blows away the chaff, the 
the chaff, you see, where it looks just like the wheat, but it's light. It has no substance, has no power, has no Holy Spirit. It gets blown and shaken away. But those who have a foundation in Jesus, they remain. Well, I, say, I tell you, when you look at it, people, there are people today who want to shake people out of the church themselves. They're picking and choosing. But see, when you walk in the church, you don't really know the hearts of people. You can look at a brother and a sister that's sitting right next to each other. One can be totally serving God. The other one can just be an imposter. But you don't know. But here's what I want to share with you. None of us have the right to shake out anybody. God is going to do the shaking out. Amen. And we see that throughout many churches where people are leaving. Stay with me. This is going to get interesting. You see, brothers and sisters, inspiration commenting on this experience gives us this comment in Selected Messages, volume 2, page 380. And he gives this counsel, brothers and sisters, the church may appear as about to fall, but she does not fall. It remains while the sinners in Zion will be sifted out, the chaff separated from the precious wheat. This is a terrible ordeal, but nevertheless, it must take place. Clearly, God's method of purifying the church today is not to call out a small group who are faithful. Again, this is God's church. He's going to see it through. And on the contrary, he will shake out the unfaithful. The church will not fall. It will triumph. It's going to make it. We will land safely in glory. And I want to remind all of us, we are the church as individuals. Because the day is coming, brothers and sisters, where these churches, these physical plants, our churches, will be padlocked, burned down, shut down. So where's the church? In your house somewhere or in some cave? Because you're there? We are the church. Amen? Amen. Now this leads to some more questions. What classes, what groups of people will be shaken or sifted out? How can you and I be sure we're among those who will remain? Let's look at four classes. How many classes? Of people that have been identified among those who will be shaken out of God's church. Number one, the worldly. What did I say? 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. It puts it this way. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So many people come around and they say, I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't see anything wrong with this. I don't see, I can't see. If the gospel is hid, it's because you're lost. You're in a lost state, if you please. You see, church, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. That's right. People right in the church who do not believe. You know how it is. When you give your heart to Jesus, you, you, you are all excited and you're on fire. You have your first love. You come into the church. And all of us have even come in this way. I know I did. And I thought everybody in the church was holy. Until I realized one day the devil has converts too sitting right there. Satan has blinded the minds to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Blinded their minds, brothers and sisters. 
Listen to what inspiration says in volume five of the testimonies, page 81. Those who have step by step yielded to worldly demands and conformed to worldly customs will not find it a hard matter to yield to the powers that be rather than subject themselves to derision, people talking about them, putting them down, insult, threaten, imprisonment, and death. And this time, the goal will be separated from the dross in the church. Can't take the pressure from the outside. Wants to be liked by everybody. And because they don't like me and they're putting my faith down, I'm kind of shaky with my faith. In other words, many will be shaken out by not having a true consecrated relationship with Jesus. It takes that. Notice what it says here in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And as you turn there, I'll begin. I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? You see, it's much more tougher to live for God than to die for God. <laughs> Lord, I'll, I'll give my body to be burned. God says, I don't want you to die. I want you to live. I want you to be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. There are some things that are unacceptable to God. The reasonable service means Christ went to the cross to die for all of us. At least we could do that. That's reasonable. Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Stop watching this foolishness on TV that's causing your mind to think like a devil. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable. There it is again. Some things are unacceptable. And perfect will of God. Giving our all to God. Everything that you and I own, even the clothes on our back, especially the breath in our body, belongs to God. So when we give our all to God, right now there's no room for Jesus in many hearts today because it's crowded with worldliness. Jesus wants to get in, you see. Remember the text, I stand at the door and knock, and then if, if any man open the door, I will come in and sup with him. Why is he knocking? Because he's on the outside. He's not inside, so he has to knock. And one caption, when I was preaching the evangelistic campaign, I had a, I had a slide up, and, 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 and he says, I stand at the door and knock. And you saw this church, and you saw Jesus standing outside of the, the, the church, knocking on the door, and the people was on the inside of the church, holding the door shut. And the caption says, don't let him in, he's going to change everything. And that's how it is with many people who do not want to surrender all to Jesus, but they surrender to worldliness, which means to Satan. Captivated with sports stars, TV stars, pop stars, Hollywood stars, there's no room for Jesus. What are the type of people that will be shaken out of God's church? The superficial, what kind? Notice what it says in 2 Timothy 3.5. 2 Timothy 3.5. The word of God gives us this counsel having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. A form of godliness? I remember when I used to teach and preach this text many years ago, I was thinking about the people in the world. But the world does not have a form of godliness. The church does. 
So you have many people in the church who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of the Holy Spirit that they refuse to follow by its umptions. So they deny the power thereof, and God says, stay away from those types. Here God describes these people who are in the church as holding a form of religion, but denying the power that will keep them from sinning. The Spirit of Prophecy speaks of this class also in Testimonies to the Church, Volume 5, 463. It says the superficial, the what? Conservative class whose influence has steadily retarded the progress of the work will renounce the faith and take their stand with its avowed enemies. Poor who their sympathies have long been tending. Wow. The superficial conservative class. Now, this is an interesting expression, isn't it? What is this class all about? They're quite different from the worldly. Uh-huh, yeah. They're alarmed at the trends of the church. You won't find them sitting in front of the television for hours. No, no, no. You won't see them going to worldly places and, and going into all these worldly places of entertainment, uh, but they're only superficially conservative. You see, they are status quo Christians. Everything's all right. I go to church every week. We have a choir. We have potluck at the, at the church. Everything's all right. Why are you so excited? Don't be so worried. We're right on target. Don't rock the boat. Don't come and change too much here. By all means, be committed in coming. Return your tithe. Go to Sabbath school and church. But don't be so zealous. Come on now. Calm down. You're too much on fire. I don't have time to give a Bible study, but I will be at Sabbath school. I already know the truth. I don't have to go to that revival. I don't have to go to the Revelation Seminar. I don't have to go and pass out tracts to other people. I'm all right. I have a membership over there. I already know the truth. Everybody else needs to find out the truth on their own. Don't go too far overboard. No, 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 no. We're going to make it all right, and the church is going to get through this crisis. Oh, yes, we will. Just make sure you're on time for Sabbath school. But don't, go and don't, don't ask me to go and knock on doors in the community. No, 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 no. To do anything extra like that than just study my Sabbath school lesson. At least I'm at church every week. Their prayers are formal and ritualistic. And if they're up front, some people there will pray so long as if they're by themselves, hurting everybody's knees for being down there so long. They study the Bible on a, only occasional, which is at Sabbath school, just to show how much they know. They feel they know it all. They don't think they have to study anymore. Been in the church for 20 years. I've been in the way for 20 years, y'all. Yes, in the way. The great controversy puts it this way on page 625. Only those who have been diligent students of the scriptures and who have received the love of the truth will be shielded from the powerful delusion that takes the world captive. Now, that, does, that doesn't sound like superficial, superficial Christianity. Mm -mm. Number three, self-confident. What did I say? You see, this group isn't like those who are worldly or superficial. Nah. And Paul has some very direct counsel for those in this class who are. 
There in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, we know the text all too well. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So many people think they got it all together, man. They have counsel for everybody else. They don't want to receive any. And I know I've gone through so much in my life in ministry, I'm wise enough to say when I'm approached, when someone tried to give me what they would call a teaching moment or a constructive cons- cons- criticism, I would say, I stand to be corrected. Thank you. It's time to take on some humility. What do you say? The Lord's servant gives us a similar thought from the testimonies for the church, volume 6, page 400. She says, those who have had great light and precious privileges, but have not improved them. How do you improve it? You need to go share with somebody else. It'll get improved. Under one pretext or another, will soon go out from among us. See, how do I stay strong in the Lord? How does, how does my wife and I stay strong in the Lord? We're going to keep our hand to the plow, witnessing, serving God with the gospel truth, trying to win souls who are in darkness to the kingdom of God. While we're working for God, he's keeping us. That's how you can do it. Oh, this is serious, brothers and sisters. But again, these are people who are standing still, relying on their present experience, not improving their opportunities to grow in Christ. They're like Peter saying to Christ, Lord, though other men will forsake you and have forsaken you, I'll go all the way with you. I'll go even all the way to death with you. You don't have to worry about me, Lord. I'm confident when the crisis shall come. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll defend you. What did Peter do? Denied him. When the crisis came, he denied him. He said, when cavalry comes, Lord, when cavalry comes, I'll be there by your side. He was nowhere in sight. In fact, I've got my sword ready. Now think about that. When Peter swung that sword, he was trying to chop that dude's head off. But in God's grace, he only allowed him to hit the ear and put it back in a miracle. And even in that moment, to show you how the devil has so many people stooped in darkness, you see a man pick up an ear that was cut off and put it back on the side of someone's head and there's no more blood or anything. You still going to take him to the Sanhedrin? I said, no, this is the son of God. See you. But Peter was full of himself, confidence, filled with self-confidence, and he was filled with that. But the problem was that Peter needed more than human strength to face the crisis. That's why whenever we encounter a crisis, you and I ought to say, Lord, you got to fix this. Take this, Lord. I can't handle this. You see, brothers and sisters, there are many today who are not in the worldly group or in the superficial or conservative class. They may be even spending a great amount of time with God in Bible study and prayer. There are people like that. But the basis of their religious experience is themselves. Wow. And they find themselves believing that no matter what, they certainly would never give up their faith. And I tell you, when the crises come, they will be shocked of the decision that they will make. But unfortunately, with any, any individual who puts confidence in its own ability to stand firm rather than in Jesus, it's like a man in the parable who built his house on sand. And we find that in Matthew 7, 21 to 29. You see, brothers and sisters, if we're going to build our house on sand like that, meaning our relationship with Jesus, 
If we are like this man in this parable, when a crisis comes, our self-centered experience will collapse. It's gone. How important it is for us to learn daily dependence. Come on and say amen. amen. I've even dropped down to moment by moment. What do you say? We need to kneel down each morning and to admit, oh Lord, have mercy upon me. I know by myself I'm unable to cope with Satan's temptation. I can't handle this day without you, Lord. I need Jesus and his power in my life today. Take charge of me. Please, oh God. You see, church, Jesus wants to lead all of us to be less confident in what we can do and be more confident in what he can and will do. Have less confidence in our own power and be more confident in his. This is righteousness by faith. Come on and say amen. At least one part of it. Number four, lovers of self. You know anybody like that? The person you see in the mirror every day, is that a person like that? Lovers of self? Those in this final group lead lives that are evolved around self. They're not willing to make sacrifices for the work of God. In a description of, the, of people in this church, in these last days, 2 Timothy 3, 2 puts it this way. Lovers of self, which is at the head of the list. The spirit of prophecy gives counsel on this in early writings, page 50. The mighty shaking has commenced and will go on and all will be shaken out who are not willing to take a bold, unyielding stand for the truth and to sacrifice for the cause of God. And that cause is spreading the gospel of saving people who are lost in darkness. He has given us this work. Now, these four categories covers a lot of us in the church right now. Oh, yeah. So the question comes, how much of the church will these four classes represent? Here's the counsel from the Spirit of Prophecy, volume 5, 136. Soon God's people will be tested with fiery trials. What kind of trials? And the great proportion of those who now appear to be genuine and true will prove to be base metal, to stand in defense of the truth and righteousness when the majority forsake us, to fight the battles of the Lord when champions are few. This will be our test. What? Most of the people are not going to make it. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. What about you? So the great proportion will not remain. The majority will forsake God's church. Lord, help us! Church, this is serious. And there's one thing that I want to share with you concerning this. First of all, we're counseled from the pen of inspiration and the Bible that those who lead God's church in these last days will become the most bitter opponents of God's true believers. There are movements right now of people who have left the Seventh-day Adventist church, and all their religion is is looking back, attacking the Seventh-day Adventist church. They will eagerly take their places as witnesses in courts of law, denouncing the Christian experiences of those who remain faithful. Now, this will happen during a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, disclosed there in Daniel 12.1. But notice what Matthew chapter 24, 9 and 10 gives us. And we see this just coming together more and more in these last days. It says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations 
for my name's sake. So when you're living for God, people are not going to like you. When you're being faithful to God according to his word, people are not going to like you, even people in your own family. And then in verse 10, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. We've got to pray for the church. It is hard for us to understand and realize, you mean my brother over there is going to turn me in? My sister over there is going to talk about me as if I was their enemy all their lives? Let me move on. Let's take a quick look at the four agencies that causes the shaking. The four agencies that causes it. The first one is false doctrine or hearsay. You see, church, a lot of hearsay of false doctrines is floating around in many remnant churches today. How do you know the difference? Study to show yourself approved unto God. Not just to show yourself. Amen? Amen. Many will accept these erroneous teachings and be shaken out as a result. The counsel here that we get from 1 Timothy 4.1, and it's very, very interesting. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days, or the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The example is, you drive up to a place where you like a fast food place, if you do that, and you go and you give them the money for the food that you ordered, and you give them a $20 bill, and then when they come back to the window, they give you $20 and some change. And something in your voice, swiftly in your ear, and say, you've just been blessed. Go on, that's a blessing. That's a doctrine of a devil. Things like that, brothers and sisters, when you know that someone made a mistake, yet you're looking at it as a blessing, but that's a doctrine of a devil. But that's just at a fast food place. There are so many different doctrines that has crept up in the Seventh-day Adventist church, and unless you know the truth for yourself, it will seem right. We're counseled from the pen of inspiration. Unless we know the principles of God's word, it'll be very difficult for us to distinguish what truth is by just looking around. You know what, church? That's what's wrong with many members in the church today, not studying. First of all, many are getting baptized and they haven't been taught God's word correctly, nor do they want to study. The scripture gives us, go you therefore and teach before you're baptized. Then it says, teaching them all things, so you continue to be taught afterwards, ever learning. Every church ought to have a Bible study night twice a week at least, Sabbath afternoon, advertised to the community, and at least one night a week, advertised to the community, going on consistently so that not only the community can come, but church members can have ever learning continually. You see, the shaking time has commenced a long time ago. That's why people in this, like this, are only surface readers. Oh, yes. Anchored nowhere, and they are like sifting sand, primed to be shook out. Number two, miracles. What did I say? You see, Satan will make people sick <laughs> and suddenly remove them from them his satanic power. That's sickness. And they will be re then be regarded as healed. You see these people on TV, man, wave his hand over a whole audience, and, and, and now they're healed. God doesn't heal like that. 
he gives us the health message. Come on and say amen. We do the best we can with his counsel, and then if he needs to do a miracle, he'll do it then. But you wave your hand, you're waving your hand over gossipers and people that's eating pork chops and they won't stop drinking and everything, but they're getting healed of their disease. Come on now. God wants reform. What do you say? So these works of apparent healing will bring many to the test. People like signs and wonders. That's why you have some of these churches with all of this noise, this music, and they're dancing and conjuring up what they call the Holy Spirit because he's not there. They're trying to do like the, the, the 450 false prophets of Baal on the top of Mount Carmel because they're cutting themselves and everything, trying to just, just make a big emotion thing going on. So the Holy Spirit's here? No, it's not. It's found another address. You see, brothers and sisters, I like what it says in Selected Messages, book 2, page 53. Those who are looking for the spectacular and who desire miracles more than the truth will accept this counterfeit that's just about to break upon this world. Number three, they will be shaken out because of persecution. What did I say? This will shake a great number out of the church. The Great Controversy 608 gives this counsel. As the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message but have not been sanctified through obeying the truth, abandon their position and join the ranks of the opposition. You see, when persecution really breaks out, those superficial members, brothers and sisters of the church, who desire praise, then I sing good when I just, saw, so I just sung this song. Wasn't that nice? Flattery. They like flattery and popularity. They will leave anchored nowhere, serving themselves, wanting praise all the time, serving themselves, wanting to be worshipped, if you please. They get that from America's Idols or something, I guess. Number four, they will leave because of a straight testimony. Notice what it says in 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 4. 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 4. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach what? Be instant in season and out of season. Prove, reprove. That means teach. Rebuke. Tell them they're wrong when they know better. Exhort. Lift their spirits and encourage them with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Go find somebody that tells you that you can keep the girlfriend in an apartment, keep the cigarette pack rolled up in your sleeve, and you can still make heaven by holding on to these things anyhow. Verse 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. You preach the straight testimony, yeah, it'll empty out a lot of churches. And I would just have to say the devil sent them. Okay? Because there's people in other places are yearning for present truth. Yearning for God's truth. Yearning for something that's going to cause them when they leave this place. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Lord, help me to come up higher in my walk. Help me to draw closer to you. I want to be better living for you and to help others. And if your sermon doesn't do that and you preach an hour and there's a hundred people there, I've just wasted a hundred hours. People want substance these days. So you preach truth, it's going to draw a crowd. Oh, yes, it will. 
those who are very serious, brothers and sisters. And the final cause of the shaking is also revealed in a pen of inspiration, Early Writings, the great book, Early Writings, page 270. And she said, I asked the meaning of the shaking. I had seen and was shown that it would be caused by the straight testimony called for by the counsel of the true witness to the Laodiceans. This will have its effect upon the heart of the, believe, the receiver and will lead him to exalt the standard and pour forth the straight truth. Some would not bear the straight testimony. They will rise up against it. Oh, yeah. Anybody that preached straight truth, you're going to catch it. If you're on social media preaching straight truth, look down at the responses. Boy, it's something else. But I don't care. I got peace when I go to sleep. Come on and say amen. They will, arise, they will arise up against it, brothers and sisters, and this is what will cause a shaking among God's people. All oh, the true witness to the Laodicean is Jesus. We're counseled that, brothers and sisters. Many are still rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting his word, which is him. They're rejecting him, brothers and sisters. And because of this, notice what it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 to 12. The word of God gives us this counsel. See, God doesn't leave us blinded or nothing like that. He exposes everything. What is to take place in these last days? 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 to 12. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Them that do what, everybody? Why? Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They didn't love the truth. They heard the truth, but they didn't love it. They love hearing the truth. You know, you have people that come to church, they love hearing truth. Oh, man, who's preaching? Yeah, I'm going over there. I love hearing truth, but they don't want to do it. They're not going to follow it. They want to hear truth. They think by hearing it, it's going to bring them salvation. You have to do what God has called you to do. Amen? If you don't follow the truth, you will eventually believe a lie. And that has happened. Now let me move on and quickly deal with the seal of God. Brothers and sisters, the book of Revelation speaks about two marks. How many marks? The mark of the beast and the seal of God. The mark of the beast is visibly manifested in worshiping the beast and accepting the authority of the beast rather than the divine authority, which is the God of heaven. Those who receive the mark of the beast will be caught up in the false revival. You go to all these churches and they say, man, did we have church? What did he preach about? I don't know, but we had church. False revival. They will enforce the mark and, and attempt to bribe and coerce and even imprison people and ultimately pass the death decree upon those who refuse to receive the mark. You see, brothers and sisters, this is very, very interesting. Because the mark of the beast is one thing, but there's some other things that they put with it. You know how when you go to the voting booth and you want to vote for a certain cause, you see? And, 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 and on that thing that you want to vote, it'll say, you know, you want to, you know, have better schools. But then under here it says, accept the LGBT plan. You know what I mean? It comes with more than one thing. So people need to understand, brothers and sisters, that this mark of the beast thing, when we look there in Revelation, 
it talks about the mark of the beast and the image of the beast and the number of his name. Three different things. Mark of the beast, Sunday worship, when it's enforced. The image of the beast is the character of the devil. And, and, and to make it short and succinct. Do you have the character? See, you can say, I'm not going to go to church on Sunday. No, 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 no. That's, 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 that's the mark of the beast. No, 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 no. But you can live like the devil and have the image of the beast. The number of his name, that has to do, if you study that in more in depth, you'll deal with no buying and selling, you see. You'll gain the number of his name, which represents that whole authority, but then he'll get you three ways. Go to church on Sunday, or have the image of the devil, or buy and sell. He'll get you. It's not just not showing up on Sunday. It's not just not showing up on Sunday, brothers and sisters. It's more than that. We need to understand that the devil has some serious stuff going on. We need to understand that it's a trap. It's a what, everybody? And if we think that just because we don't go on Sunday, we need to understand our character. What did I say? Our character must reflect the character of Jesus. Well, let me continue. It's time now for us to be faithful to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Those who do not accept the mark of the beast, brothers and sisters, and receive the seal of God rather than the mark of the beast, these people will not be shaken out and cannot be bribed. Cannot be bribed. They don't fear imprisonment or threat of economic boycott. And I know it's tough when you have children that are screaming for food and they say, no, you got to give in. What you going to do? You're talking about trusting Jesus? If you have a habit in trusting him now, you can deal with it then. You got to do that. Even the threat of death, brothers and sisters, cannot cause those who are going to be sealed to become disloyal to God. Oh, no, 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 no. Now listen, church, if any Seventh-day Adventist Christian audience were asked, what is the seal of God? The general answer that would be probably given is this, the seal of God is the Sabbath. That's correct, but let me give you a more qualified correctness. The first thing that I would like for all of us to understand is that the sealing work is a process. It's a what, everybody? In the life of the believer, not an act, like a stamp. The sealing work begins at conversion. At what? And ends when the believer makes a final decision for or against truth at the time of the National Sunday Law. There are many who look at the seal of God and equate it with the Sabbath alone. That's just the foundation. Their idea is that the seal of God is something that is stamped on a believer in an instant when the National Sunday Law is passed. They think of receiving the seal as an instantaneous act. Oh, no. They don't sense that the sealing work is a process. Every single day, you and I are being sealed. It's a process. Every choice we make, everything that we do, we are being sealed or we're being marked. It's just locked in when these decrees hit. Receiving the seal of God depends upon our daily responses to the daily appeals of the Holy Spirit. So is this a new thought to you? 
Have you been looking forward to the future to be sealed? We cannot afford to wait. The sealing time is right now. Because there's a lot of people going to sleep in Christ. Some kind of process had to take place before they laid to sleep. Now, in the light of this process, what is exactly the seal? One of the clearest references in the gift of prophecy regarding the definition of the seal is found in SDA Bible Commentaries, volume 4, page 1161. Volume 4, page 1161, which says, Just as soon as the people of God are sealed in their foreheads, it is not any seal or mark that can be seen, but a settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, so they cannot be moved. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> a lifestyle of believing and living the truth of God's word. It's the way you live, settling into the truth, being sealed. We're being sealed right now or being marked. There's no light switch. When the National Sunday Law hit, you either have it or you don't. So it had to start somewhere. It's how we're living now. We are being sealed. When I love my brother, love my sister, when I'm kind to people, when I'm doing the will of God by my surrendered will to the Holy Spirit to do it through me, I am being sealed. And then it's just finalized when the time comes of the close of probation. Oh, I'm being marked if I'm acting a fool, gossiping, gossiping, and causing all kind of trouble in family, in school, at work, at home, you name it. I'm being marked. Won't be no problem for me to accept the National Sunday Law because if my life is threatened, well, you know what? You know, God understands because you have not the Spirit of God. The Sabbath is an outward manifestation of that inward settling into the truth. Again, it's the foundation, but the sealing process is a process that is a lifestyle process. Every single day we're being sealed or being marked. It's a revelation of the inner experience with Jesus in which we have learned to rest in him. Now notice what the Bible says here. In Revelation chapter 7, looking 1 through 3, the Word of God gives us some wonderful counsel of what was to take place or almost took place already. Revelation 7, 1 to 3, And after these things I saw four angels. How many angels? Standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice. What kind of voice? to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till, our seal up to the, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. I get excited on this text. You see, church, God was about to end this world. And if we study the prophecies carefully, we would discover that we're on borrowed time. Very close. But we see here in Revelation chapter 7 that the angels was about to let go of the great time of trouble which this winds of strife represent. But God says, no, hold, hold, hold. I have some children there at Hillcrest in Bakersfield and all of my churches in the surrounding area. They are almost ready. Hold, hold. I want them to come on in. 
these angels are about to let go. They are commissioned to subdue, to subdue demonic forces where they can go so far but no further. We need Jesus. We need these angels that excel in strength, that protect us. But they are holding back the four winds of strife. They are holding back the great time of trouble so you and I can be sealed and not destroyed. You see, brothers and sisters, the devil doesn't have full control over this earth. He can't do just as he pleases. He can only go so far. And if it wasn't for these angels, the devil would have destroyed all of us a long time ago. And here on record, there was a time when the angel was about that, to move that wall of protection. It was just about done. And they were about to go to heaven and say, Lord, we're done now. Everybody who's calling on God has already chosen him, and everyone else is not going to change. The Spirit of God is going to have to just leave them, leave them alone. We're done. And God says, wait a minute. I got more people. I have more children. But the others who will not let the Holy Spirit change them, let them go. Ephraim is joined to his idols. Leave them alone. And somebody's angel reports back to heaven that they refuse the salvation of God. Their fate is sealed. Now the Bible, in the Bible, Jesus shows us clearly those who will be sealed. Ephesians 4.30 was a quote last evening. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You and I, as I said last evening, we need the Holy Spirit to operate in our lives, to do the will of God in our lives. When you're nice to somebody, that's not you. That's the Spirit of God in you. You ever heard somebody says, man, did you hear about that tra tragedy the other day? Man, there's somebody got killed, got these 10 people got stabbed with a knife. Man, that ain't nothing but the devil. Through who? Devil works through people. God works through people. It's up to us to choose whom we would allow to control us or who we will react to by its influence. We need to influ be influenced and allow ourselves to be influenced by the Holy Spirit, not demonic spirits. That's why it says in Romans 6.16, 6, to whomever we yield ourselves to obey, we are their servants. So we need to understand that and not grieve the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit says, be nice to that person even though they talk to you, not behind your back, right in front of your face. God says, invite them home to dinner. And you says, not grieving the Holy Spirit. Because it's not what happens to you, it's what happens in you. I want the change of Jesus in my life. What about you? And God says, this is serious, because in Genesis 6-3, God says, my spirit will not strive with man, it won't always strive with man. One day my spirit is going to be taken away. Right now it is gradually being drawn from this earth, brothers and sisters. God is drawing his spirit away from not just not the trees, not the dirt, not the rocks, but people. God is withdrawing his spirit. That's why when you see somebody committing a heinous demonic act, the spirit of God has been removed. Now let me try to bring this down. In Ezekiel chapter 9, 1 through 6, God shows this prophetic thing that is to take place that is right upon us. In Ezekiel 9, 1 through 6, 
he gives this picture here. And he cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near every man with his destroying weapon in its hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lived toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with white linen, with the writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was, to the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed with the linen which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, go through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in the mind ear hearing, Go ye after him through the city, and smite, let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity, slay utterly, old and young, both maids and little children, have mercy, and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. Ancient men, when you study this, it's talking about the leaders of the church. It's talking about the elders of the church. It's talking about the pastors of the church. It's talking about even the deacons and the deaconesses of the church, the leaders of the church. You got people in nominating committees fighting to be an elder, fighting to be a deacon, trying to politic their way in. But God says, those individuals who are not sincere, who's not sealed, that's in the leadership of my churches, I want you to begin with them who have not the seal. This is serious business. You want to vote me in as an elder? Lord, let me pray about that thing. Because it's more than lifting the offering, brothers and sisters, at 11 o'clock. It's more than lifting the offering. It's more than praying the prayer. It is a life to be lived, not only in the church, but out there in your home especially, and in the community. You have so much responsibility as an elder, a leader of the church, a deacon, a deaconess, any leadership. But God says, my angels will start with the ancient men of the house, which is the elders of the house, and begin at my sanctuary and slay all that have not the seal. Serious business, man. God is not playing. See, this destruction of slaying all of these people who do not have the seal, it begins in the church and it carries out into the world. The sealing begins in the church and it carries out into those that are not a part of the nominational thing, but out into the world. The close of probation begins in the church, and it carries out into the world. It starts with God's remnant church, brothers and sisters. And Ezekiel sees the same thing that John the Revelator later almost saw. John the Revelator sees these angels about to begin, and you have to understand what these destroying weapons that they had are. They are the seven last plagues that God talks about in Revelation chapter 16. Many people in the church think they have it all together, but then they will realize there's something wrong because now the plagues are falling on them. Have mercy. Beloved, when probation closes on earth, Everybody's fate is set. Many houses of worship will still be open. People will still go to church, pray, sing, have mercy, even preach. But lost in church because they have not the seal. They didn't love the truth and they did not settle into it as a lifestyle by the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy. 
Beloved, the only four prophecies that has not been fulfilled is the national Sunday law, which is upon us, the close of probation, the falling of the plagues, and the coming of Christ. And all of these will happen, according to the prophet, in quick succession. Listen, church. God tells these angels, the one with the inkhorn, to place a mark on the foreheads of the ones that he is to seal. God tells this angel to go and seal the people who are crying and sighing because of sin. They're so hurt because of all the things that is going on around them in the church. They find themselves pleading and praying and agonizing for the lost conditions of the souls that's in the church, and not only in the church, but also in the world. They have a heart for people, even in the church as well as the world. Not talking about people and cutting them down or thinking that they're better, better, but feeling so sorrowful. Why? Because they know that it's hurting the heart of Jesus, and Jesus longs to save, and their, his, their desire is like his desire, to not willing that any should perish. So they are pleading and praying for those lost souls in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, that's home, the church. So God says, I want you to go and place a mark on the ones that are pleading and praying for the lost souls in Jerusalem. Now, wait a minute. I'm not, I got to wrap this up. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I just got to wrap this up. He says to the others in verse 5 and 6 of Ezekiel 9, slay everybody who use my name in vain, not just in a church building, everybody. Somebody told me one time, I don't want to go to the church, there's too many hypocrites in the church. I said, to think about this, there's so many people in the world who claim to be Christians, there's more hypocrites in the world than in the church. Make up your mind. <laughs> Our church, God said to those other angels, after my people are sealed, slay the rest. Saints of the living God, at that point, the judgment of God and the wrath of God is going to fall like never before upon this earth. And I don't care who we are or who we think we are and our safety net may be what we think we have. It's going to affect everybody who's not sealed by God. And let me tell you, not one person will receive the seal who has cherished sins in their lives. Not one. Not one. Think about it. What sin has you captive right now because you're holding on to it? Devil can't make you sin. He only suggests it. You have to choose. Not one person who has not cleansed his or her soul temples by the mercy and by the blood of Jesus will be sealed through his spirit. Not one. Don't think that God is going to make some special favor for you because you decided to start following him. The Bible doesn't say that they were washing their robes. God said his saints had washed their robes in Revelation 7, 14. They made a point-blank decision to follow God when the Holy Spirit called them. They didn't slip out the door when the appeal was getting ready to be made. I'm not talking about our works will get us to heaven. Oh, no, 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 brothers and sisters. It is when we submit to the power of the Holy Spirit to God to allow Jesus to live his life through us. You see, church, they weren't trying to get right. They were right with God. They had chosen and surrendered their hearts to God. They weren't dabbling back and forth, trying to make a decision in the world, in the church, going back and forth like God is some fickle yo-yo God. No, they wasn't doing that. These are they that have washed their robes. Jesus is serious about who's going to populate the new heaven and the new earth. Amen? 
Nay, whom one nine says, affliction shall not rise up a second time. So why aren't we in heaven yet? Because God can't trust some of us yet. God says it won't happen. And the only way it's going to be an environment where sin is not going to raise its head again is that there's going to be an environment where people right now choose to hate sin. Got to choose. Now as I close, you see, brothers and sisters, what are we doing as God's professed true remnant? Do we really love God and people? Do we? I'm talking about me too. I'm in a boat with you. This sermon disturbed me before I got here. Are we knocking on doors, warning people of the storm that's coming? The only way we can do that is to have Jesus in our hearts. The only way we can do that. God is opening up doors and methods that is not going after the ordinary. No, 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 no. The average person today, brothers and sisters, is not being saved by people coming to a church or even an evangelistic campaign. No, 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 no. They're being saved by somebody on the corner preaching with a bull horn talking about Jesus. And God leads them to greater light until he gets them to where he wants them. It's time for us to understand that this movement is not just a religion. It's a lifestyle. According to the word of God, we dress different. We eat different. We talk different. The message is different. And it is sound and foolproof from the word of God. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23 speaks more to God's remnant church than anybody else. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father shall enter in. But God is waking up people who, have, who, he, who he has held in reserve. Yes, he is. Who, when they hear this truth, they will run with it, burning with fire. They're not going to be putting it down like even a lot of ministers today. But sadly, many in the church will be lost because they have had the thinking of the Jews of old. They thought because that they were Jews that they were going to be saved. Many today think just because their name is on the church road that they're going to be saved. Or because they come to church on the seventh day of the week. Yes, that's important, but that's not the only thing. Remember I said following Christ is a lifestyle. Seventh-day Adventist people have fallen asleep. These are not my words. This comes from the pen of inspiration in the book Evangelism. It says the world is perishing while the church is asleep. This is a solemn message today because we're in a solemn time. And while the doors of probation is still swung open on the hinges of mercy, brothers and sisters, we all need to make a decision once again, and that is as a remnant Christian, to surrender all to Christ, you're all in all. What do you say? Jesus is the answer, whether you're worldly, superficial, self-confident or lover of self or hard-hearted against God's truth and his word with the enlightenment of the spirit of prophecy. My last couple of texts here, Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Don't worry. Just give Jesus your heart and be sincere. You will make it. Come on and say amen. A lot of these things are disturbing that you heard this evening, but I'm telling you right now, it's easier to be saved than to be lost. All you got to do is surrender your heart sincerely to Christ. Amen. In Jude 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. God has given us a message to finish. Amen. 
Yes, he has. This movement is not riding on a plane, but it will land us safely in glory. Amen. Amen. Jesus paid it all on the cross. He did. How many of you want to be sealed? You want to remain faithful to God. You need the power to do so. God wants to save us all. Again, it's easier to be saved than to be lost. You want special prayer that you will hold fast that you have, that no man take your crown. Stand with me as we have our concluding prayer. I'd like for you to pray for yourself. And the very individuals or person that God places on your heart to pray for at this time. We're in a solemn time, brothers and sisters, and God is calling us. There's people who may not ever learn who Christ is except by your presence, your connection to them. We all have a responsibility. So in the meanwhile, we got a witness. And if we want to be sealed instead of shaken out, we got to hold fast that which we have and follow every truth that's been exposed to us. And God says, I'll do it through you. Just surrender your heart to me every day, every moment. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. Lord of heaven, we're so grateful. We thank you for the opportunity of hearing your word, Lord. We listen to these, 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 these disturbing truths, but Lord, nevertheless, it must be shared so that we won't be caught off guard or surprised. Help us, O oh God, to be broken on the rock, Christ Jesus, to be made new again, piece by piece. Forgive us for our sins, trespasses, and iniquities. Lord, help us to be more loving. Help us to be more kind. Help us to be a witness for you every day. Help us to just simply pass out a track if we can't do anything else. Help us, O oh God, to be faithful. And as we're revived in these meetings, O oh Lord, help us to reform by allowing your spirit to reform us as we do your work. Bless each and every person standing now under the sound of my voice. Bless each and every one of our families, O oh Lord. And help us, Lord, where we cannot help ourselves. But here we are, starting anew with you right now. Bless us until you shall come in the clouds of glory. Thank you for answering the petitions that's in our hearts. And, O God of heaven, save us when you shall come.